Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, January 22nd, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me in dead leg. I think we might need to revisit the word realistic. The definition is as follows. Having or showing a sensible and practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. I bring this up because on Wednesday's podcast, I asked you if you believed Indiana had a realistic chance to win at Iowa on Thursday night. You said no. I said no. Just didn't seem like a sensible or practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. And for at least three reasons. One, Iowa is clearly better than Indiana in this season. Two, Iowa would have the best player on the court in the form of Luca Garza. And three, Iowa was inside Carver Hawkeye Arena where it entered with a 9-0 and record, obviously. You know what happened next. Final score, Indiana, Iowa 69, not nice. Roy J. Carver, famed industrialist, rolling over in his grave. Norlander, what was it like for you to watch an unrealistic thing become a reality late Thursday night? Merriam-Webster defines the word regret as sorrow aroused by circumstances beyond one's control or power to repair. Listen, that game was out of my control. It was out of your control. Of a conduct or an event giving rise to regret. Undesirable. Unwelcome. And as that game played out, and as it got into the second half, I thought, this is interesting. This is, look at this. Indiana getting a good win. I was really going to take this loss. All right, you know what? This is uh, this will be something good to talk about on the, oh, wait a second. What did we say at the end of the last podcast? We said too much. Oh, did we? Did we go a little too far? Yeah. Did I have someone tweet at me a link to the definition of realistic? You bet your ass I did. Congrats, Indiana fans. Although you might be super conflicted this morning here because obviously you want your team to do well. Obviously a decent portion of you just love basking in self-loathing uh, when Archie Miller doesn't perform as well as a coach as you'd like. You got a good win here. This is the kind of win that's going to get you into the NCAA tournament. Like I, I, I think the Hoosiers, some way, somehow, they're going to be in that NCAA tournament. It's, it's because of a win like this. Uh, Are you suggesting that was a seed bump win? That was a seed. Well, I, they're not. Yeah, maybe it was. How about it? it was a it was a vaulting win. It, they might not have been in prior to this game. Get the win now. They're vaulted in. That's even better than a seed bump. Vault, wow. vault, launch it right there like a catapult right over. Great job by Indiana. I gotta figure this is probably a top five win of the season. Considering Iowa's a top five team in the metrics, it is a game on the road again. Even though it's not a true true road environment. Um, it's still so. This is one of the five best wins I think anyone has had this season. And Indiana, it wasn't like they even squeaked it out. They got it done. They beat uh, an Iowa team that I checked late last night. Hold on, I'll bring it up right now. Yes, Iowa still third at Ken Palm as we report this podcast here on Friday morning, and they win by twelve. So uh, a wonderful job. I, clearly, you know that's the kind of game 
if I speak to the Hawkeyes real quick, and you're right, I actually have in my notes Carver Hawkeyes rolling over in his nest, not his grave. He's rolling <laughs> over in his nest. Um, uh, the defense there is obviously problematic for Iowa. That's the that's the exact kind of game where whether you're an Iowa fan or just a, a bit of a skeptic of the Hawkeyes, you're like, this is why I don't know if I can take them to get to the Final Four. I still think they can get there. Uh, it was just a, a disappointing performance. What did you see on uh, on Thursday night, and what was your primary takeaway? Okay, let me tell you how I experienced this uh, Indiana comeback. So, obviously, we uh, we we have a new president now, and the the country has been uh, an interesting place to live in in recent weeks. And a, a guy I went to high school with, who's like a genuinely good guy, but we see the world in completely different ways. Um, it, you know. It, it, in probably every election of our, our lives, I voted one way and he has voted another. And so he reached out to me and he said, hey, listen, I, I want to try to better understand. Like I keep hearing people say, you know, you need to listen to other people. And I want to try to understand. And, 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 and you know, if you would it be OK if I reached out to you, you know, every once in a while to say, hey, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And he here's what I think about this. And what am I missing? And I thought it was like a sweet gesture. And so I said, sure, of course, I'd be happy to talk you to you. You got to love when he, Biden voters reach out to you like that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the roles are the, the, the roles are reversed. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, of course. And anytime you, you were wondering, why, so why does GP think this way? Or why do I think this way? And you want to bounce it off of me? I'm, I'm here. Of course. Least I could do. Worst mistake of my life. Okay. <laughs> it is like, oh, and I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. It you is, might be laying it on thick, although I don't know what you're about to say. So I've made a lot of mistakes. But this is by far, by far, worst decision of my life. So I'm watching Indiana, Iowa, and trying to explain to this old high school buddy of mine why he's wrong about this and why he's wrong about that and why he's wrong about this other thing. And it is consuming. And I look up at one point and I'm like, what ha- What in the world is going on in this basketball game? <laughs> because Iowa was up nine with less than 12 to play. The Hawkeyes went 11-52, 11 minutes and 52 seconds without a field goal. Amazing. This is the best offense in the country. And they went 11 minutes, in, like almost a full NBA quarter. Think about that. Like almost a full NBA quarter without a field goal. Indiana was down 53-44 with 12 minutes remaining. And then they go up 73-61 with 107 left. That's a 29-8 run in roughly 11 minutes that eventually resulted in a 12-point win. Indiana scored 50 points in the second half, shot 49.1% from the field for the game, 47.1% from three for the game. Iowa was 5 of 23 from three. And what you touched on is exactly what I wrote uh, in Friday morning's top 25 and one. Like, is Iowa good enough to get to the final four? Yes, absolutely. Can you trust them? I don't know because they are 90th in defensive efficiency. They allowed Indiana to score 50 points in the second half last night. We talked about Alabama earlier in the week and how the Crimson Tide can afford to go cold from three. They're going to take all these threes. Nearly one out of every two shots going to come from beyond the arc. And one of the points I made is that you can, you know, they can afford a cold shooting night and still win because they're so good defensively. Iowa cannot afford that against good teams. You cannot go five of 23 from three if you're Iowa against a quality opponent. By definition, basically anybody they would see 
at least from the second round on in the NCAA tournament. And why? Why can they not afford it? Because they cannot get stops. They did. They couldn't get stops last season. They couldn't get stops last night. And it is the reason their five-game winning streak is now snapped. The Big Ten is a league of big men uh, in many ways. And our colleague David Cobb recently had a good post about this, uh, or a story last week about just how many good bigs are in the league and Trace Jackson Davis performed wonderfully, splendidly uh, for the most part in this game, helping Indiana kind of tug them to a win. The Hoosiers had four players in double figures. Rob Finnessy, who I sometimes think unlocks Indiana's potential in terms of being, you know, a top six level Big Ten team. He wound up with 18 points, uh, hit a couple of big threes there, and was uh, really solid on, on the defensive end. In fact, Indiana collectively... Um, it, it, I, I don't know. They they might have tapped into something that hopefully they can consistently do. For the IU fans listening, I'm sure they watched their team win this game and thought, holy crap, like if there's any way we can do this even 50% of the time on defense going forward, then yes, we're going to make the NCAA tournament. That's got to be super inspiring. But uh, for Jackson Davis, uh, he, to me, continues to be a top 10 to 15 level player in America. It just hasn't gotten... he. His style, in addition to Indiana just not consistently winning, leads to him maybe being perhaps a little bit overshadowed, but I just wanted to give him a, a brief little bit of love here on a night where, you know, Garza, again, he just gets his. You know, he got he had 28 points, shot 50% from the field, 12 boards, three assists, couple of blocks for Garza. He was good again. He's still the, you know, to me, he's still in the number one spot for National Player of the Year at this point in the season. But Jackson Davis, you could make a case with everything he's doing um, should certainly be, you know, in the conversation for second or third team All-American. Uh, and I know Indiana's success is going to probably dictate that to a degree. And there are great bigs in the league. Uh, you know, Wisconsin's got a couple. Iowa, obviously. Kofi, Kofi Coburn at, at Illinois. Liam Robbins has been spectacular with, with Minnesota, you know, up and down the league. But Jackson Davis, he's... I, th- I think IU fans know they have a good one. And... Uh, and because of that, like I, you know, I don't know where he would fall in, in that line. You also got obviously Dickinson at Michigan, who started out, uh, who's been pretty well in Tra- Travion Williams at Purdue. But uh, but it's been fascinating to see a, a conference be this good, rely on plenty of big men, and Jackson Davis. Sometimes he he really shows uh, capability of being the second best big in the league to Garza. Yeah, like Indiana with that win over Iowa jumps from 55th up to 40th in the net. They're now one and four in quadrant one games, four and two in quadrant two games. So they're five and six in the first two quadrants with zero losses outside of the first two quadrants. And in fairness to to us, uh, you know, at the end of Wednesday's podcast, I did acknowledge. I said, "Listen, Indiana is not bad. Like they, 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 they just don't they don't win often enough." Which is, I think, an accurate way to to describe them. You know, they entered that game at, at Iowa with an eight and six record, three and four in the Big Ten, but they were still like top thirty five at Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. So the computer numbers were still strong, even if the record was less than ideal but even though we both did not neither of us thought they were going to win at Iowa it is if we're being honest not the craziest thing in the world for them to win at Iowa it it is a according to the metrics a quality basketball team with a 
record that doesn't necessarily reflect that. Agreed. Uh, my last note on this, and then we can uh, swerve on our way if you want. Indiana, yeah, they're nine and six. They're, it's yet to win three games in a row this season. Now it's played a tough schedule. That's going to be that's going to be hard to do. It actually never won three in a row last season once it got into league play. Uh, and this goes back to what we talked about with Miller's record in the Big Ten in general. This has just been something that the program has struggled with. I think this is probably going to wind up being the case. By the way, I think Indiana, I think Indiana is probably destined to be a bubble team but it's going to have enough good wins uh, where it's going to get in. We'll probably debate their resume once we get to March. Uh, its next game is at home on Sunday against the Rutgers team. Like That's a game Indiana should win, but Rutgers is going to be absolutely, I would think, rabid and desperate. It has lost five in a row, and it's, it's gone from a 7-1 team uh, cruising to the NCAA tournament to now a team that's that's got to get wins and got to get them a lot in a hurry. So you have that, and then you're at Michigan. So getting three in a row seems like a tall challenge, then it's Illinois, and then a rematch with Iowa, and then at Northwestern and at Ohio State. I just don't think that this IU team is uh, is going to be able to pull three straight victories together on the schedule the rest of the way. I will I will pwn myself if I wind up being wrong on the podcast. I'll bring the soundbite back if indeed we get to a point where IU wins three straight in the regular season. But I think that's probably what you're looking at, and I think it's going to be just good enough because the Big Ten offers so many quad one opportunities that so long as Indiana can get close to 500 in quad one games, you said it's one and four right now, got to get better than that to give itself a chance, and I do think that it will give itself a chance. Like Norlander said, next up for Indiana is Rutgers on Sunday. Iowa actually isn't scheduled to play again until next Friday at Illinois, so it's going to be a while probably until Iowa has a chance to bounce back from this loss, and there's no guarantee they will bounce back from this loss. There's nothing simple about playing at Illinois. Norlander polled more than 40 coaches earlier this week about whether conference tournaments should be played this season in advance of the NCAA tournament. I'm going to let him tell you about it next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Norlander polled more than 40 coaches earlier this week about whether conference tournaments should be played this season in advance of the NCAA tournament. You can read about that in his court report that published uh, on CBSSports.com. Norlander, what did you learn from those phone calls or text messages? Did the answers from the coaches surprise you? Uh, to a little extent, yes. So this was all started by Frank Martin, who I spoke with on 
Saturday as he was at home watching his team play against LSU and play him in a tight game. Um, and we got to talking about a bunch of things. And then he got into this and uh, about the season in general and, and then into conference tournaments. And, uh, and I thought, hmm, I wonder how many coaches kind of share his opinion. I'm going to read Martin's quote for listeners. This is in the story. It'll be linked in the podcast uh, description um, on whatever service you're listening to. He said, I've never understood conference tournaments. After beating the living you-know-what out of each other for two and a half months, I get why it's done, money. I wouldn't be against taking a deep breath this year and saying, you know what, let's utilize that time to try and make up games for the ones we missed, and let's just crown a regular season champion. Martin also went on to say this, which I thought was very interesting. He said, I think the biggest mistake we've made is we're trying to have a normal basketball season in an abnormal year. We should have never just had regular home-and-homes and travel to play these single games. We should have never done any of that stuff. I'm sure television and TV contracts and whatever other stuff had a lot to do with that, but I think we across the board, and I'm including myself because because I could have been a lot more outspoken about this. I sit on the board of the NABC. I'm involved in all kinds of meetings, and I was too passive because of so much being unknown. It's easy to reflect, but now that we're in it, it's my opinion that trying to play a normal season just doesn't make sense. So when Martin was telling me this on Saturday... You know, I just couldn't help but wonder how many other coaches might be feeling the same way as Martin while acknowledging that he is a unique situation. As mentioned uh, a couple of podcasts ago, Martin just got over COVID for the second time. It's not often that you see in the news cases of uh, a person contracting the coronavirus twice, but it has happened. There are documented cases. And to this point, um, Martin is the only coach in major American sports believed to have gotten it twice. I heard a couple people said, what about Nick Saban? Nick Saban's first test actually came back as a false positive. So I called up a bunch of coaches. I think it was 25 out of the 31 leagues that are currently playing. The 32nd is the Ivy. They're not playing this year. Called up at least one head coach in every single one of these leagues and said, you know, considering everything, take it all into account. Would you, would you be in favor of staging your league tournament this year? Yes or no? And it came back. 73% said yes, and 27% said no. I didn't have an internal, I guess, guess or estimation GP before I did this, but the number wound up being more than I thought it was going to be, and there was no consistency about it. And by that, I mean I had coaches in power conferences say no. I even had coaches in small conferences say no. And this is – I want to spend a couple minutes on this. I'm going to throw it right back to you real quick, though, um, explaining why I think this is going to be a huge issue in a few weeks in college basketball. In big conferences, the reason to have them is they they bring in so much money, even without attendance. They still bring in so much money. There's, there's all this TV stuff connected to them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And you have teams that are on the bubble that will need those games to launch themselves to potentially get in that large bid. In small conferences, the TV still means something because it's basically the only time your team is on television nationally for most of the year. And the other would be if you get into the tournament and then you're on the NCAA tournament. But the money isn't nearly as much, and the pros and cons of it are interesting because for a lot of those teams in the small leagues. Going to play in your league tournament is the NCAA tournament. It is your postseason experience. Yes, one team will get into the big dance, of course, but those teams, those coaches know overwhelmingly, you know, the, the, the chances are small. And so that is their chance to absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, make the sprint to try and get it done. What were your thoughts on the story? What were your primary takeaways? And were you surprised by any of the quotes I got on the record or, um, or just the results of the poll? Well, first, I, I'd say I, I can appreciate Frank you know, acknowledging that, you know, this isn't the best way to do it. You know, it's something that I was screaming very early you in were. the off season. Yeah. 
like, you know, trying to, you know, trying to fly South Carolina to Gainesville, Florida to play one basketball game and then fly Florida to, uh, you know, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee to play one basketball game. We can do it and we are. But it's not the best way to do it. It's not the safest way to do it. It's not the smartest way to do it. So now here we are. I, I, um, I, I am always um, appreciative and respectful of people who can say, you know what, I, I, I might have miscalculated on this one. And for Frank to publicly acknowledge that, I, I, I thought was a, a good thing and worth noting. He is exactly right. The reason we play conference tournaments is because of money. But I think also because of opportunity. Um, you know, for the smaller leagues, I think you could argue, let's just crown our regular season champ and, and give that school the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament annually, if not for the money attached to it, because in most of those leagues, it's just a one bid league anyway. In the bigger conferences, the reason to do it is because of money and also the opportunity. You know, it, it it, it provides hope in otherwise hopeless situations, even if the hope is minuscule. If you're a coach and you've got a team that's been disappointing or a team that's struggling or a team that's got no chance of an at-large bid, you can always look your team in the eye and say, hey, but if we go to the conference tournament and do boom, 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 then we still we can play in the NCAA tournament. There is still a path for us to get there. Um, is it a likely path? No. Uh, but but has we have we ever been surprised before? Of course. So I think having that as a college basketball coach um, in a season that maybe has gone off the rails a little bit is is something that is worthwhile. As it relates to the answers to your question, I would and I don't know how it broke down. Maybe you'll be able to 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 clarify this. I would assume it breaks down if the question is as simple as, do you think we should have conference tournaments this year? the coaches who clearly have NCAA tournament teams are probably like, nah, let's not play them. And the coaches who might need an automatic bid, I would assume are like, oh yes, we need to play them. For instance, if you talk to two American athletic conference coaches, Kelvin Sampson might say, no, let's not even have a conference tournament. I'm in the NCAA tournament no matter what. Then you call Penny Hardaway asking the same question. I bet he says, yes, we need to play the conference tournament because that's going to be Memphis's only hope of getting to the NCAA tournament. Did it break down like that? It did not, which is amazing. There's a coach in the American Athletic. Did Conference. you assume that it would break down like that? Uh, not, not entirely, but I was very interested to see. So there's a coach in the American Athletic Conference tournament who needs, to, who said, "Don't play them," and he needs it to get into the tournament. So, and there were there were coaches. I mean, some of these coaches gave these gave answers and quotes on background and not for attribution. Um, so I won't give up the identities but there's a coach of a top 15 team right now that's going to get in who said absolutely play the games and there were other coaches that said that but I had at least one coach in every major seven conference with the exception of the Big Ten I asked two Big Ten coaches uh, that said don't play conference tournaments uh, one Big Ten coach said yes for sure and then the other one's Holtman who I got on the record and he said yes I'm in favor the players probably want to do it but to be clear here I could see a situation where we don't do it and the coaches get together and say, maybe it's not for the best. Because this is a, again, this is a complex deal, JP. And let me lay out kind of what I put in the, put in the piece here because I, I, I want to pick your brain on this. So 
There was, but uh, one more thing. There was not consistency across. Like, there were small conference coaches that said, yes, we absolutely need, like Randy Ray at Weber State, he's like, we play two league games. Of course we want to play. A couple small conference coaches says, this this is not worth it. Like, all of us going to one neutral site um, and trying to get this done, we are just begging to have, you know, two, three, four of our teams wiped out of the bracket before we do it. In fact, how about this? I didn't put this in the story. How about this? One coach in a mid-major league said, what I would prefer to do is we're not going to have equity with game totals. So the way to get around that, if we don't play a league tournament, which might not be the safest thing, I, the coaches know we know the teams. I assign each head coach like a preseason poll. Each head coach gets a vote. And then one other person in every athletic department, the AD or someone that basically knows the league as well, also gets a vote. You can't vote for your own team. And then you rank the league at the end of the season. So if that way, if, if one team in a small league has only played nine league games and others played 14, there's inequity there. You haven't had the same opportunities, but you're, you're relying on the collective, uh, you know, hive mind to determine this is how it's determined. And this is how we're going to give the automatic bid. The team that wins the, it was, it was a creative solution that I never would have thought no league's going to do that. But I thought that's one way you get around it. If you don't, if you're not comfortable with awarding a regular season champion, because there is great disparity, two, three, four game gaps. That's the way you overcome it. I thought that was pretty creative. No, that's not the way you overcome it. That, that you're begging for problems. Oh, I know. But hey, listen, but again, coach thinking out loud, I had not heard it. I didn't put it in the piece. Of course you're begging for problems. And of course, no one's going to go for it. But if you if you have a team that has only played eight league games, GP, another one's played fourteen. It's just, if this coach said going off a win percentage still isn't a quote unquote fair way to do it. What the Big Ten did in football is they went off a win percentage with it was initially a minimum number of games, and then, and then they Ohio State did it, and then they changed it, yes. which created problems. Although they seemed to handle it about as well as they could handle it. And it seemed pretty clear Ohio State was the best team in the Big Ten. Nobody was really arguing against that point. What I would suggest, and you can't go backwards, but this should have been how whatever you're going to do should have already been decided. Agreed. It should have all you you cannot start de- deciding this stuff on the fly. Like if you decide before your season even starts, okay, guys, um, we are assuming everybody's not going to play the same number of games. We don't want to set a minimum number of games to qualify. So what we're going to do is an average of this computer, this computer, this computer, and that computer, and whatever that spits out, that it will be our automatic automatic bid. Like, I, I'm just throwing mm-hmm. random stuff. Whatever you're going to do, you have to decide it before you even get started and then stick to it. Um, so anybody trying to figure that out now is trying to figure it out about three months too late. Well, then that gets me to my next point. So I agree with you, and I was... I'm writing about this in the fall, talking about it on the podcast. The NCAA opted not to push this tournament back. That's fine. It's going to be where it's going to be uh, unless something drastic happens to dictate otherwise. And I actually have another story on that that's also touches on that. Um, uh, but whatever. We'll push that to the side for now. So because of that, the conferences control their schedules. They, and they opted, the mid-majors did what they needed to do. They did back-to-backs on weekends for the most part, sprinkling. That's, that's how you need to do it, and they're doing decently, but they're still losing games. The big leagues continue to schedule in many ways as if we're not in the middle of a pandemic, which gets back to what Frank Martin said. It's just idiotic. Not only that, these TV contracts with these conference tournaments, they're bumping right up against Selection Sunday. This is an issue, Parrish. So 19 of the 31 
automatic bids are scheduled to be decided on the Saturday or Sunday, that weekend of Selection Sunday. Well, with the way the, the this incubation periods work with the virus, it's unpredictable. This is the exact issue. This is why, you know, Frank Martin got to talking about it, and then I went and called a bunch of coaches and wanted their opinion on it. You're begging for problems here, okay? So let's get to the next. No, fact. not just begging for problems. I'll take it a step further. You are ensuring you have problems. I would I would agree with you. And if you read my Gavit piece we talked about in the last podcast, he gets to some of this. Uh, I, I, they're going to try their damnedest. Still not going to avoid this. The conferences, if the NCAA was, because the NCAA controls when the tournament starts, everything about the tournament. It, it can't control the league schedules. The, the, all this is, this is a, a, a not entirely accurate and perhaps too lazy of analogy, but the NCAA is the federal government. The conferences are all the states. They get to run things how they want to run them, okay? So the conferences determine when the schedule is, when the conference tournament is, and all that stuff. And the leagues decided that they were not going to go to their TV partners and say, we would actually prefer to change our schedules because of this, give more of a buffer between the end of our season and the start of the NCAA tournament to ensure that our teams have a better chance of not uh, having COVID issues and taking themselves out of NCAA tournament consideration. So, next facet of this, which is going to be so interesting when we get to March. There are two reasons why teams will not play in their conference tournaments. One of them is not controllable. You will have teams contract COVID, have issues, and go on pause in March the same way it's happening literally almost every single day of this season. That is going to happen. You can't avoid it. The other reason is if a team willingly opts out, What mo- if, if the message has been since the summer perish, the, we have to have an NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is the most important thing. We're going to have it. We need to have it under any circumstances possible. Okay. And if, if that's the messaging... What if a team decides to say, we're in? Like, every single bracket forecast has us as a three-seed or four-seed. What are we benefiting from here? Do we want to get to the two-line? Does it even matter? One quote I didn't include in my piece is Mark Few said, geography isn't a thing this year. So, like, normally you might be trying to bump up because it might help where you get sent. Everyone's going to the same spot. So even that motivation is taken away, which I thought was a good point. Mark Few also said, you know, it's too early to say right now, but when we get into late February, early March, like really February, we need to talk as a league about what is going to be the best thing. Because he's not like, obviously, Gonzaga can win the national title. It might not have a loss. Parrish, if Gonzaga is undefeated at the end of the regular season, almost every single person on that roster won a WCC championship last season. You know, my apologies to Andrew Nemhard and, and Jalen Suggs who aren't on that roster, but what motivation really is there for Gonzaga? It's a, totally a risk assessment. So then the question becomes... If a team does that, there's two things. One, I talked with a source who's familiar with how these things work at a television contract level and conferences and basically laid out, here's how much money these leagues make for holding these conference tournaments. Like uh, the Pac-12 is is probably around 750,000. The big leagues that have like their championship games on network television, the Big 10, um, the ACC, Big 12, including fan attendance in normal year, those leagues are making more than a million dollars off their league tournaments. And all that money gets spread around to the schools. Well, this person said, if you had and he used Baylor as a hypothetical. If you had like a one or two loss Baylor team that you know, Gonzaga's undefeated, it's not going to get the number 1 overall seed and it just said we're not going to play. Uh, this person postulated that the Big 12 would then say, uh, first of all, would try it, stand just not to allow that to happen. But then it would say, you're just not going to get paid for the for not playing in the tournament. Then, like, you're, whatever that share would be, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're not getting that. Would that be a deterrent? I don't know. But the other thing that a couple coaches brought up is, if the players decide, listen, we want to play in the tournament that actually matters. 
We want to ensure that we get to play in the NCAA tournament. We don't want to needlessly go and play in a Big 12 tournament, put our own bodies and health at risk, and, and for what? Like, we'd love to play, but if you tell us there's a certain percentage chance, there's a non-zero chance it's going to affect ourselves playing in the NCAA tournament, why should we do that? If we did have a player decision like that, and I don't think that we will, Parrish, but we could, and if we did, there's no way a conference is going to punish a school over this in the middle of a pandemic and a national and a, and a global health crisis. It's a fascinating scenario, and it's why the conferences really lacked foresight. They should have thought about this in August, in September, and said, you know what? We're gonna if March 14th is always going to be Selection Sunday, then our league championship is going to be no later than say. March 7th, a week before, so that the thing can finish, everyone can test, they can get to Indianapolis, the tournament's going to start three, four, five days after Selection Sunday, and it best assures us that the 68 teams that are picked to be in the bracket are the 68 teams that are playing in the bracket. We'll wait and see on all of this. I know I'm going long here, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge deal. The last thing is, if, you have a, if the WCC decides to hold its league championship parish, and then Gonzaga, which is obviously king of the castle, seven times over in that conference, says... Now we're good. Like Mark, you said, what if we just want to bubble up, head up to Indy, help our chances to make sure that we can get in there? Okay, what happens there with the selection committee, with the WCC? What if BYU is not good enough to be an at-large team? You kind of had a, you have a little bit of bid collusion there where a conference can assure itself a second team. Like, can you have a league tournament and just not have teams in it that are going to make it? And then you give the other teams that aren't assured a chance to get in the at-large a better chance of getting into the tournament. It's... It is a Pandora's box and a, and a situation that I don't know if there's a, a good resolution to it. And I don't know what kind of power the selection committee really could enact over a league or over teams that decide to do this. Wait and see, because I think there's going to be some interesting decisions that are made in about six weeks from now. Okay, a lot of stuff going on here. Let me, try, let me try to walk through it. First, I'd say this. You're exactly right. They should have, if they're going to have conference tournaments, had, had a buffer period in between the championship game of the conference tournament and selection Sunday to ensure even if they had an outbreak, they could test out of it, quarantine, um, and and eventually be ready to play in their opening game in the NCAA tournament. That ship, as they say, has sailed. So now what? Honestly, the smartest thing to do is to not have conference tournaments. That's the smartest thing to do. Like, we have been clear since last March that – the only thing that matters as it pertains to the 2020-21 college basketball season is to hold and complete an NCAA tournament. That's it. How we get there, we can debate. We just got to get there, and we've got to hold it, complete it, crown a champion, cash a check. Having conference tournaments makes that more complicated. I understand the balance of um, television money against not having television money, but I think big picture, the smartest thing to do, every league in the country – would be to award your automatic bid however you see fit. And like I said, you should have already decided that before the season even started and and decline the opportunity to hold a conference tournament. I don't think that's going to happen, not, not universally across the board. I think some leagues will not hold conference tournaments, but I don't think all leagues will not hold conference tournaments. But if you put, if you put me in charge of college basketball, I would say no college, no conference tournaments this season. Um, award your automatic bids, however you see fit. And then we let us know who your auto bid is. And then we'll fill out the rest of the bracket and then we'll see you in Indianapolis. That's what I would do. I don't think that's going to happen. 
the idea of teams opting out of their conference tournaments because they are already assured a spot in the NCAA tournament is wildly problematic Yes, for the exact reason you just said. Like if you're Gonzaga and you sit it out, um, you are potentially taking, you're turning a one, maybe a one bid league into a two bid league. You're stealing a bid from a, a spot in the tournament from somebody else. Now let, you could do that in any league though. What if, what if in the Big Ten you said, all right, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Ohio State, Minnesota, sit it out. Exactly. Now let's let these other five or six, however many teams that have no shot of the NCAA tournament, let's let them have a, you know, let's just create an extra bid. Like, right. I just, we, I, and to be clear, and you're going to go here, this can't happen. You can't but, do it. But the other so side can, of it is, Gonzaga says, this isn't our problem. We got, we got done what we needed to get done. We don't need in these other games. And if you have, like Mark Few on the record said, if you're in the Big Ten, what is the point? If you're in the Big Ten, you get a buy and then in the Big Ten tournament, you're in. What's the point of even playing? Right. No, I, listen, I know they can't, like, okay, when I say this can't happen, I don't mean it literally cannot happen. It can happen because what, what would the West Coast Conference do to Gonzaga? What are you going to do to Gonzaga? <laughs> if, Gonzaga if Mark Few just says, I'm not bringing my team, what are you, you going to do? You can't do anything. Sure. Well, we'll hold money. Okay, we got enough. Yeah. We got enough money. No it's question. fine. We don't need your money. Um, so, so it can happen. I'm just saying it can't happen. You can't do this. It's, it's wildly problematic. And so I think ultimately the conference commissioners should be sitting down with their athletic directors and head coaches or, or zooming with them right now. And, and ultimately you have to decide this, this has to break one of two ways. We are not having a conference tournament or we are having a conference tournament with all of our conference members. No in between. Like if we cannot get, um, a, 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 a universal agreement that we are all going to play in this event, for better or worse, then we're not going to hold the event. I don't think you can hold an event minus one team or seven teams or anything in between. You either hold the conference tournament, do the best you can, or you scrap the conference tournament. In other words, West Coast Conference, if Gonzaga absolutely says we are not playing in the conference tournament, you can't have a conference tournament. That's what I believe. I would I would agree with you on this. Um, I did I did have a couple of suggestions from coaches that said, you know, in absence of the, the actually kind of going halfway to what you're saying here and saying, you don't play a conference tournament, but if it's uh, like a Mountain West conference, like Nico Medved, coach Colorado State got a great win at Utah State. Game took forever to finish. By the way, I stayed up and watched that thing. Good win for Colorado State, winning over Utah State on Thursday night, and. Like, they're probably going to need their conference tournament to help assure them getting a bid. Like, they're definitely an at-large team right now. But he said, Nico Medved said, there's just, I don't, I don't see a need for this right now. I don't think this is smart. I don't think it's necessary. But what if you had the top four teams in the Mountain West, you know, you just reduce the risk. So you have, you know, one versus four, two play three, and you just add one or two more games. It's in effect a tournament, but more like a um, like a showcase so that the league still, you know, fulfills a, a potential television contract in many ways. And you're playing, you're having the league play the best of the best within the conference to help just nudge it a bit further. It's it's sort of a, of a go-between, a halfway measure. And I could see why that could work. Another coach in a... Isn't there? Let me stop you. Isn't okay. there a league that did something similar to that recently? Well, or like Conference USA at the at like the tail end of its schedule wound up. It, it, it yeah, that, that's not what I mean. I mean okay. like 
you don't automatically make your conference tournament. Like only four teams out of the whole league make the tournament, and then you just play. Isn't there a league like that? Well, the Ivy only has four of the eight go, and this year the there you NA, go. No, okay, there you go. And the NEC this year actually reduced its number from uh, from eight down to four, and that's actually uh, that's you know that's caused some rancor within that league because you know a lot of the team, but but it's probably the smart thing to do. Um, so, Paris, what you're saying is correct, and and I think a high majority, again, a majority of coaches I talked to said that they want to hold their league tournaments. But I I will also say, I mean, I, I would say close to half of the ones that voted yes when we were talking about it said, oh, but I could see how this, like, my either my opinion or the situation changes by, like, the first week of March. So, yes, like, you're asking me right now, would I stage a tournament? My answer is yes. My players want to play? My answer is yes. But we'll have to wait and see what, uh, what happens there. And then the other thing, Parrish, is... And we can move on if you want from this. Um, but the the one thing like Holtman was talking about, and 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 a few other co- like uh, a coach in the Big East was telling me, it's just, it, is it really worth the risk here? Are we going to actually go through this? Okay, are we going to go through this? And then we're going to look up on the Wednesday of the of the week of the NCAA tournament, the day before the first four, and suddenly. A three seed from that league, a seven seed from that league, and an eleven seed from that league. They are now on COVID pause. We've lost three out of out of the sixty-eight well, teams. Well, the well let me ask you. Was a question. it worth it to play these games? Why did we do this? Why did we well, opt to well, put ourselves in this situation? Well, the answer will obviously be no. We've already established it's not worth it. Okay. Yeah. Here's my question. Do you Baylor is a one loss team? Baylor wins the Big Twelve tournament. Obviously one seed. Three players test positive on Selection Sunday. Do you really think Baylor's out of that tournament? Judging off of my conversation with Dan Gabbitt, the NCAA is going to do everything in its power to make sure that it can tell teams to behave and move about in certain ways and with certain distances so that if that exact situation comes up, the Marion County health officials and the Baylor health officials and the NCAA health officials that are overseeing all of this stuff is going to try and make sure that it can say, we use contact tracing. These three players, they're out. They're not playing. But here's why we think with the measures we've put in place, the rest of the roster can be available. That's why when they travel, when Baylor goes from Waco to Indianapolis, it's not allowed to take off its mask when they're in together. They're not allowed to have a drink on the plane. They're not allowed to eat on the plane. They have to be at least six feet apart from each other. They're doing all of these things. When they meet, there's going to be tables set up with chairs, specifically a certain uh, number apart from all these people, to make sure that if this happens, they can say, from a contact tracing standpoint, we think this is why it's still safe. I, that's not foolproof. No, okay, okay. That, 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 that's great from that point forward. I'm talking about uh, Baylor played a basketball game on Saturday. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing, man. Like, are you really going to have whatever it takes to pull a one seat out of the NCAA tournament over positive test? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but, and I hope we don't have to answer it. I know. But I am fearful that we are going, that these very difficult decisions are going to have to be made, largely because, circling right back to what we're talking about, some of the best teams in the country are going to be playing on the weekend before the NCAA tournament is scheduled to start in games that honestly don't need to be played. I completely, completely agree with you. It's a, it's man. It's an interesting time in college basketball. We don't have to spend any time in this, but I'll just give listeners a heads up. I tweeted about this as well. I had two pieces go up. The other one is just 
there's uncertainty with conference commissioners right now. Students are returning to campus. Um, this is something that might or might not be a story in a week from now, GP. Like, we've had a college basketball season with no students on campus until basically this past week. And some students still aren't back on campus. Like, Syracuse doesn't have students back for another two and a half weeks or so. But coaches, athletic directors, commissioners, they're all just, they're concerned. I had, I had a call from a commissioner that kind of tipped me off this a week ago that said, hey, just so you're aware, like, there's a new Biden administration what, you know, what, how is that going to cover COVID? Fortunately, the vaccines seem to be improving the situation, which is great. But if we have these students back on campus and we suddenly have like seven teams in a league that go on pause because there's just everyday students on campus, what are we going to do there? What if the, what if the sport gets put on, you know, a two week pause in February? Are we keeping the tournament scheduled as is? So that was the other story I did. And I don't think that's going to happen but when I hear from enough people, when I hear from almost 10 people in positions of power in college athletics saying, listen, man, we're kind of gripping just a little bit. Get us to, you know, just after Valentine's Day. Um, it's just something to keep an eye on. It seems like this week there are more postponements and cancellations, Paris, than we've had. And we're running out of days. There's, these are no longer postponements. They're outright cancellations. The games won't be made up. You ready to get to the final four in one? Yeah, man. We got a good Sunday sucks, but we got a great Saturday. So, yeah, let's do it. Update update the records, please. Okay, last week I went three and two. You went uh, two and three. We are even Steven at 14 and 15 right now. Hold on. You went three and two and I went two and three and we're even Steven? You were a game ahead of me a week ago, yes. I thought I was a game behind you a week ago. No shot, man. You were, you were ahead of me. You had, a one, you had a one game edge, 14 and 15 apiece. So now we're even Steven. We are. I have selected my four games. Would you like to hear them in chronological order? Let's roll. Saturday, noon Eastern, number 23, UConn, at number 11, Creighton, inside the Warren Buffett Center. You can watch it on Fox, Creighton, minus five. I didn't think you were going to pick this game. I've, I always have two backups. This was one of my two backups. I did not think you were going here. Love it. Um, Creighton has Marcus Zagorowski back. It's coming off two straight losses. It lost at home to Providence, uh, one of the more mercurial teams in the Big East. And it, it lost without Zagorowski last Saturday in OT at Butler. We covered that on a previous podcast here. I'm going to go with Creighton in this spot. UConn, I, UConn, I think, is the one team in the Big East that is capable of beating any team on any given night with a decent amount of confidence. So, I like, you know, UConn, Nova, they're scheduled to play next week. I, I, I totally think UConn can take out Nova. Nova's clearly the best team in the league, but uh, particularly when you, if UConn's at, at full strength here, uh, when it can get um, when it can get James Booknight back, who's got an elbow issue, he's not coming back uh, for at least. I had an I had an elbow issue once. Yeah, dead arm, <laughs> return of the dead arm. There we go. That's right. That's right. So I know what, he, uh, I know what he's going through. You do absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, without Booknight here, I have to take Creighton. Uh, I'll take Creighton to win and to cover, but it does feel like this will be a, a, a tight one. This is for those that listen to the pod on Fridays or Saturday mornings to kind of gear up for your day. To me, this is this is a really nice one to kind of kick off at noon and get the day going. Yeah, Creighton now has four losses. One's to Kansas. The other three are sub-50 Ken Palm teams. Um, you know, that that's this is a team that was preseason top 10, and, you know, they've lost three games that, that they probably shouldn't have lost. Um, UConn just lost to Golden Gate Mike, so they got issues too. And, you know, these teams played back in, I guess, December, and Creighton won it in overtime. James Booknight got 40 in that one, but now he's sidelined with this elbow injury. Yeah, I'll take Creighton 
at home to win and to cover. I met Warren Buffett at a Creighton basketball game several years ago. Cool. That's the end of the story. Okay. Just, that's that's. <laughs> I, I have I have a I have a story just like that. Ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Phil Knight at uh, at the PK eighty. Yeah, it's exactly like hey, uh, hey, Mr. Buffett. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> that was the end of it. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 pretty. That, much. So we we both met absurd billionaires. So there you go. We both met absurd billionaires in in moments that lasted in, about four seconds in basketball arena. So there we go. Saturday noon Eastern, number eight Houston at Temple inside the Khalif Wyatt Center. You can watch it on CBS. That's America's most watched network. It is the network of stars. Houston minus 13. And I really just put this game on there because it's on America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. But also because I want to talk about Houston. Houston's awesome. <laughs> That's what I told Warren Buffett when I met him, by the way. <laughs> he, I, said, Mr. I, mean, uh, I said, Mr. Buffett, it's nice to meet you. And he said, um, so who do you work for? I said, I work for CBS Sports. I cover college basketball. And he said, uh, what, do you, what do you think about Kelvin Sampson's team down in Houston? And I said, Mr. Buffett, they're awesome. And now here we are, awesome still. Okay. Oh, well, first of all, you said, I, I got to talk about Houston here. Houston's awesome. Beat. They are awesome. They're doing well. They've been uh, in my top ten of my power rankings pretty much the entire season. Only loss on a last second shot at uh, at South Beach South Beach Frank's house in Tulsa. So um, yeah, no doubt about it. And they've obviously continued to do it. Caleb Mills is no longer with the program. It's 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 uh, it's pretty awesome. This is a thirteen point line on the road. Man, I just a quick uh, quick comment here. Like you and I got into hoops. You know, around the same time, you got you got a good nine, ten years on me. By the way, GP's birthday got a podcast Sunday birthday special coming up. Just be aware of that. How so exciting! It's gonna be it's gonna be very exciting. Um, but when like in the nineties, like Temple used to be awesome. Like I would love to just see Temple be good again here. Can can Temple just get better in a hurry? This would also the American Athletic Conference, frankly, like it needs a team in a major market on the East Coast. Like Temple's got to got to get going. Aaron McKee, his team is three and three this season and has had. A tough go of it in terms of losing games. I will take, I will take the Owls to cover here. They're going to lose, but that's 13 points in their home gym on America's Most Watched Network. Yeah, uh, I think this is a podcast first, by the way, in terms of picking a game that involves Temple and picking Temple. Period. Uh, and I will go with the Owls. I'm laying points with Kelvin Sampson's Cougars. That's what Warren Buffett would want me to do. Um, Houston, 12-1, and one, like you said. They started 21st at Ken Palm, now up to number six, despite the fact that Caleb Mills, as you noted, uh, left the team, transferred to Florida State um, after appearing in only four games. Who else, who else could lose a preseason conference player of the year? And, and A, it doesn't seem to matter, and B, uh, you know, actually improve from 21st at Ken Palm to number six as of this moment. Uh, Gonzaga. That's the only one maybe Gonzaga. I feel, like, maybe I feel Gonzaga. like Gonzaga could do that. Yeah, maybe Gonzaga. They also, Houston, lost Fabian White in the offseason to a torn ACL. So three of the top four scores from last season's team are gone. They didn't enroll some crazy great recruiting class, and yet the team is still awesome. Largely because of Quentin Grimes, former five-star recruit, started his career at Kansas. He's averaging 17.8 points, 6.5 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.5 steals. He'd probably be the AAC player of the year right now. And after 
Houston earlier in the week beat Tulsa because you're right. The one loss is at Tulsa and then they play Tulsa again in Houston and beat them by 27. So Kelvin was asked a question, something about that. So what changed? You know, you lose to this team by a point. Now you beat them by 27. What changed over the past month or something like that? And he said, you know, um, uh, a basketball team is a little like an elevator. He said, you're always going up or going down. You're always going one direction or the other, and you're never staying the same. And one of the things about my teams that people have said forever is that we get better as the season goes on. And I guess I'd first say elevators aren't always going up or down. Sometimes they just sit still. They're just chilling sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, they, sometimes, get, sometimes just, they get stuck. Yeah, yeah sometimes, they're, sometimes they're stuck. Sometimes they're just, they're just waiting for somebody to push a button. So the analogy doesn't work perfectly, but the point Kelvin was making is, is well taken. I wouldn't look this up. His teams do always get better. They are always, mo- they are always an elevator moving in the right direction. 2015-16. Houston started 128th at Ken Palm. They finished 61st. 2016-17 started 85th at Ken Palm. Finished 52nd. 2017-18 started 64th at Ken Palm. Finished 18th. 2018-19 started 39th at Ken Palm. Finished 12th. 2019-20 last season started 29th at Ken Palm. Finished 14th. This season started 21st at Ken Palm, currently sitting at six. That is six straight years of Kelvin Sampson's elevator moving the right direction. That's all seriousness. That's impressive stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. And yes, this team is definitely capable of making a final four. What's next? Game number three, Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, number two Baylor at Oklahoma State inside Tony Allen Arena. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Baylor minus nine. I had a story go up on Sunday night. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's it's pretty awesome here. It ties to Oklahoma State. Um, I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover. It's getting nine at home on its home floor with maybe the number one pick in the NBA draft. Baylor's awesome. It can win the game by 15. I'll ride with the pokes here. Um, real quick, if you did not see it, it actually was highlighted on Good Morning America and the Today Show. It made national news, which is pretty awesome. D. Mitchell walked into Mike. D. Mitchell was like a solid. Norlander, first, let me stop you. We are national news. Th- that's true. Okay. Uh, morning news show. Okay. We're national news. Don't discount us. Fair enough. D. Mitchell was like a solid high school basketball player, but he enrolled at Oklahoma State as an everyday student. He walked into Mike Boynton's office in the fall of 2018 and said, I want to try out for the team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Boynton says, all right, I, I, you know, if, if an opportunity comes, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, thanks for coming to meet me, et cetera, et cetera. Wonderful meeting, but nothing happens. A couple months later, three players get kicked off of Oklahoma State's team, and you may or may not remember this. I actually had forgotten about this until I talked with Boynton about it on Sunday. Like, Oklahoma State had tryouts for the basketball team in the middle of the season. Incredible. So, D. Mitchell goes to the tryouts. He makes the team as a walk-on. Winds up actually, like, being a hell of a practice player. Gets into a game against Texas Tech the year Texas Tech makes the title game and hits, like, hits a three late to send the game to OT or whatever. Um, There was another time where Oklahoma State basically had seven healthy players and Mitchell wound up starting and playing, you know, respectably well. So he continued to uh, be a walk-on, but like, you know, Boynton said, this kid is no joke. Like, he's one of the five hardest, most consistent workers I've ever been around in basketball, which is saying something. Mitchell goes to the same office this past fall 
Boynton sitting there and says, Coach, this is really hard for me, but I can't play hoops anymore, I don't think. You know, I my mom lost her job because of the pandemic. There are bills to pay. You know, I'm paying my way through school, and I just don't think I'm going to have the time here. Like, I got to take a job. And Boynton said, listen, you know, you can be around our team as much as you can, as much as you need to be. So I understand what you're saying here, but you're not leaving the program because of this. So do what you got to do. He winds up taking a job that pays 12 bucks an hour working, you know, 40 hours a week at Walmart, stocking the produce in the Walmart at the, at the local Walmart in Stillwater. And, you know, he only got to three games so far this season, uh, but would still get up at like 6 a.m. and do workouts multiple times, five times a week, either before he would have class or before he would have to get into Walmart at, you know, eight in the morning and, uh, and start his shift. And the shifts are like eight, nine, 10 hours. And it's just an amazing story, man. Like, uh, Oklahoma State had a scholarship come available uh, this in, in recent weeks. And as you may have seen, if you're listening to the podcast, I had a story on it, tweeted about it. And again, it made the morning news shows there. Uh, Boynton surprised him at Walmart with a scholarship for the remainder of his of his college uh, his college career there. His teammates were on a Zoom meeting. It was on one of his work shifts. His manager knew. And like these these you know walk on a scholarship stories are awesome but there was something particularly distinct and unique about d mitchell working hard to make this happen and he is a player that actually like he had no idea was coming they had his mom on the phone ready to tell her and it was just just a killer story man that is that is wonderful 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 stuff so if you haven't seen it go ahead and search uh just search d mitchell cbsports.com the story will come up it's fantastic i will take the cowboys to cover against the bears i thought it was awesome um, and you're right, different than, I mean, we see a lot of these now. Like, hey, let's surprise the walk-on with a scholarship. But surprise the walk-on with a scholarship after the walk-on had to essentially quit the team to work at Walmart 40 hours a week while also being a full-time student because his mother lost a job in the pandemic is a different deal altogether. And um, it was a sweet moment. Like, I'm still a sucker for people crying tears of joy. I thought that was great and what an awesome gesture by mike because every college basketball coach i've ever talked to talks about changing young people's lives and you know impacting their lives and changing their lives and i, I don't know if it's always true in in every instance here's an example you actually change somebody's life mm -hmm. you didn't have to do it you will you will from a on-court basketball perspective you'll gain nothing from this you're just changing somebody's life. You're just using something that you have access to to actually change a young man's life, to change a young man's mother's life, to allow him to leave college with less debt than he's going to leave with, than he otherwise would leave with. What an awesome thing. Like there's going to be coaches who win more games this season than Mike. There's going to be coaches who, um, you know, hold more trophies than Mike. I don't know that any coach in America is going to have a bigger impact on an individual's actual life than than the impact Mike has on on, on this young man's life. Uh, awesome gesture, awesome story. That said, <laughs> that said, you picking against Baylor is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to Scott Drew. It's disrespectful to Kelly Drew. It's disrespectful to McKenzie and and the boys Peyton and Brody Brew. Disrespectful to Homer. Dis disrespectful to Bryce. I don't think, again, I don't think Bryce cares, but you do you. Go ahead. It's disrespectful to Terry Teagle, the legend, and disrespectful to Bill Henderson. 
<laughs> do you know when Scott Drew texts me now? He he text, he goes hashtag Bill Henderson hashtag Terry Tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Ridiculous. <laughs> Hashtag uh, oh, Bill Henderson. Yeah, hashtag Bill Henderson. <laughs> Bill Henderson with the multiple Final Fours. Amazing. People don't realize. People don't understand what Bill Henderson did for the Baylor basketball program. Um, we didn't talk about Baylor earlier in the week. You know, after the win over Kansas, all-time bad beat situation. Amazing. I mean, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> they were up eleven. It, it's Baylor minus nine. They're up eleven with the ball with two seconds to play. The game is over, and and then what did they t- turn it over, and then and then inbound banked in three goes from an eleven point win to an eight point win. Kansas plus nine goes from a loser to a winner. Baylor minus nine goes from a winner to a loser. It was actually an all time bad beat situation, largely because it was on was it Monday night? It was yeah, Monday night. It was Monday. And it was a later, there's nothing else to gamble on, basic. Very little, few things, few other things to gamble on. This is on, you know, a big stage with an undefeated team. Like, every gambler in the country had action on Baylor, Kansas, and it flipped losing bets into winning bets and winning bets into losing bets in the most ridiculous way. Just, (laughs) and it was from the cheek. It was from the cheek of the bear. Not from the snout, not from the beak. It was from the cheek. Unbelievable. Was it? Uh, I I don't think it was Christian Brown. I think it was that. I think it was that like walk on Chris Tehan. Wasn't it? Yes. Yes. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, not just, Brown. it was his only shot. Has he taken another shot the entire season? That is something I'll have to get research on. We it just uh, just unbelievable. No, it just that's just that that beat was uh, ridiculous. And yeah, no Baylor just you know that was a, that win basically assured Kansas won't win the Big 12 this season, by the way. I mean, Baylor's three ahead in the loss column. Baylor's not losing more than three games in the league, so KU fans will be in the uh, unusual position of of not really competing for a league bid as we uh, as we get into February. All right. The Bears 13-0, 11 double-digit wins. I'm laying points with my Baylor Bears. Shouts to Bill Henderson. Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, Georgia Tech at number 13, Virginia. Inside, Peter Joseph Gillen Arena. You can watch it on the ACC Network. Virginia minus nine. You son of a B. You got me scrambling now. This is my other game. I didn't think there's any shot you were picking either of these games. I got it. This, this game is being played inside Peter Joseph Gillen Arena. I'm not passing up that opportunity. Hey, listen, all I want out of this game is Passner on that sideline in that protective gear. Is he still rocking the, the face mask? Not like the face oh, mask, but the face shield. I think he Last is. Last I saw. He better Last be. I saw. Georgia Tech. Man, it's won five in a row, three and one in the league, coming off a beatdown at Clemson. This one's going to be a little more difficult here. How many points did you say it was? Virginia minus nine. Hey, hey, hey. Um, I will take... Yeah, I'm going to take Virginia to cover here. I will take the Wahoos... Uh, my instinct tells me to take Georgia Tech, which is why I'm uh, I'm just pulling a Costanza and I'm doing the opposite here. So um, I will go with Virginia to get this win, and in the process, you know, just reaffirm that it's at top of the ACC. If it wins here, it'll be six zero. It'll be um, it'll be clear of everyone else in the league. Virginia's the only team without a loss in ACC play right now. 
Georgia Tech 7-1 since starting the season 0-2, and the lone loss in that stretch is a loss at Florida State. Georgia Tech just beat Clemson by 18. They also got a win over North Carolina, also got a win over Kentucky, but everybody's got a win over Kentucky. No big deal. Jose Alvarado, he's going for at least 24 points in four of Georgia Tech's 10 games this season, done it twice in the past four games. Virginia actually hasn't played since last Saturday when it uh, just destroyed Clemson. I'm going to take Georgia Tech plus the points. Georgia Tech plus nine is the official play on this side. All right, my game, before I get to it, the uh, for those listening here on, on Friday, no, we're not going to pick it, don't worry. But there is one really good game. Michigan plays at Purdue at 7 o'clock on Friday night on Fox Sports 1. That uh, Hell, that might wind up being the best game of the weekend. We'll see how this all goes. Purdue has won four in a row and can certainly continue to, to make the, the Big Ten interesting. Right now, as we record this podcast, Michigan has one loss in league play, while Iowa, Wisconsin have two, Illinois, and Purdue have three. So keep an eye on that for uh, for Friday night. It's really the only uh, true game of note there. There's, as I mentioned before, there's a few games on Sunday, but nothing really, honestly, nothing that stands out. It's huge NFL day, of course. Rutgers at Indiana is the one to watch if you're looking for something to peek into on Sunday. That's a 2 o'clock Big Ten Network tip. And then Davidson's at UMass on CBS Sports Network. Sunday at noon. Elsewhere on Saturday, that might... Uh, Duke's at Louisville. That's not going to be my game to pick. If Duke loses that, it's in serious trouble. That's going to be a 4 o'clock tip on ESPN. LSU plays at Kentucky. That's a 6 o'clock tip on ESPN. But frankly, um, I really don't see what the draw is there. Missouri at Tennessee, 8.30 uh, on Saturday night on the SEC Network. That is a sneaky good game there. Missouri uh, certainly on its way to, to an NCAA tournament. And it's got a good opportunity... Obviously, the subplot there is Conzo Martin, yet again, going up against his former program. If you want one that could add to the weirdness of a certain team, not that this is a high-profile game, but if you've got a situation where you can watch three or four at the same time, at 2 o'clock on Saturday, Florida plays at Georgia, which obviously just beat Kentucky. Georgia's 9-4. and four. Like doesn't look like an NCAA tournament team. Started 0-4 in the league, but if it wins this game at home, maybe we started, We got to start talking about Tom Crean uh, getting on a ladder and cutting down a net here. Florida's just a bizarre team. It just beat Tennessee easily by 26 points. I want to see how the Gators respond. They were shorthanded on Tuesday. Um, that's just one of the more intriguing games of the weekend to me. And then Dayton at VCU on CBS Sports Network at 4.30. That's a big A-10 game, no doubt about it. Both teams really need that to help bolster their they're at large. Uh, they're at large situation. So keep an eye on that. In addition to Kansas at Oklahoma, is another good noon tip. But and that's on ESPN. My game is going to be. Uh, <laughs> our game is going to be UCLA at Stanford. I did a quick tour through the Apple reviews, just real quick last night. I read like four or five. One guy's like legitimately annoyed that I keep telling you that Mick Cronin's better than John Wooden. I don't know what you want me to say to that. Like Mick Cronin is the best coach in UCLA history. If you can't accept that, get over it. I don't know what you want from me here. They're going on the road to play at Josh Childress Pavilion. Stanford, well, actually, they're not. It's Josh Childress Childress Memorial Pavilion because Stanford's not in its home gym. It's still playing at the the Golden State Warriors G League facility here, but but it is designated as a home game as far as the league is concerned. Stanford is giving, or is getting one point. UCLA is favored to win by one. Mick Cronin is yet to lose a league game. What do you got? Line too little. (laughs) Okay. Line too little. They made the line too little for Mick. You kidding me? Mick's 8-0 in the Pac-12 right now. Line too little. It's a little a little line. Line's too little. Okay. You're taking... Hashtag Nell can stay. Nell can stay. Stay in the court. Nell can stay. Line too little. I'm going to take Stanford. <laughs> Hashtag line too little. <laughs> okay. 
Fair enough. That can be. That's the next thing. It's the next thing. Um, I will take Stanford in this game. It's lost two in a row. Uh, this is a very, very big game here for the Cardinal. Uh, they after this, they're at Arizona, at Arizona State, at USC, at Cal. If those games can be played as scheduled, gotta win this one. Um, really gotta win this one here. So I will take the Cardinal in a big spot, in a tight spot. Line not too little. Line not too little. I will take what? the Cardinal. What you you are picking a, you. Publicly picking against Mick Cronin and the Bruins. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, listen, I acknowledge his greatness, but, you know, he, he, he's only human. He takes losses every now and then. So, yeah. He, no, 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 he's not only human. He's not only human. Now, now, now Mick, Cron- what, Mick Cronin is now an alien? What are we doing here? What's, what, Mick- where, where, where are we steering into? I mean, 14 games into his second season at UCLA, it seems pretty clear to me Mick Cronin is not human. <laughs> If you, if you want to expand on it, we can do it another time. But yeah. it seems pretty obvious to me he's not human. Right, let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the absolute dumbest, dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Norland, I ain't never seen one like this. Ever. I never seen one like this. I got my first vaccine shot yesterday, though. Yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm half so, vaccinated. I, I, well, on one hand, I'm so happy for you. On the other hand, that's just, you know, there's a personal I tell frustration. You, I tell you one thing. Down here in Mississippi, we ain't good at much, all right? Like ed- educating children, not great at that. Um, pretty good at teen pregnancy. Like, we, you know, we knock, we, 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 we always competing for the national championship in that. But um, we are good at getting shots in arms down here. Turns out it, 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 it benefits uh, you to live in a state where like a, a, a not insignificant portion of the population still believes COVID is a hoax. <laughs> there's, not a, there's not a normal demand for the vaccine. So I was this week I became eligible for the vaccine. I got I got an appointment, got my first shot, drive through vaccine shot, Pfizer vaccine. Got my second appointment for the second shot scheduled for February 11th. I'll be fully vaccinated before Valentine's Day. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for myself. Please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice comment. Give us a five-star review, and we will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.